Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. You're listening to episode 49 of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. What is right for you is going to be very different than what's right for someone else. And that's okay. And being okay with that. It's really like rooting yourself in, I am who I am. This is what I need. And this is what I choose to do to to meet those needs. Living a healthy, balanced life as a mom can sometimes feel impossible. With tiny mouths to feed, butts to wipe, and so many things vying for our attention, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe every mom is a super mom, and you deserve to feel like one too, and you don't have to go on another diet to do it. Join me, Kristen Dovniak, holistic nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor for conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life. I want to help you uncomplicate eating, improve your relationship with food, and live like the supermama I know you are. Hey friends, Kristen here, back for another episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. And once again, I am so excited to have another guest on with me today. This is one special lady. I connected with Catherine a few months ago on Instagram of all of the places, and we quickly realized how much we have in common. Catherine has an incredible story that I cannot wait to have her share with you today and just share the wisdom she has about recovering from an eating disorder and really truly finding trust in her body and embracing this incredible intuitive approach, not just to eating, but to living too. Katherine Herbison is a holistic health coach and safer beauty advocate based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, helping women let go of dieting and listen to their body's needs. She works through an intuitive eating and health at every size lens to help her clients reconnect with their intuition, develop an intuitive approach to eating and living, and be confident in the women they are. When she's not working, she loves finding the best coffee shop, baking sourdough bread, and watching Grey's Anatomy with her husband. You can find her on her website, choosing-balance.com, or her Instagram at katherine.herbison. Okay, friends, I also had to re-record this intro because I wanted to let you know that she has an incredible podcast that just launched with the also incredible Victoria Yates, who is going to be on the podcast in just a few weeks, but it's called the Embracing Balance Podcast. And I know you guys are going to want to check it out after you hear this interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Catherine. Girl, you are speaking my language with Sourdough and Grey's Anatomy. Oh my gosh, that is my favorite show. If you, I don't think I've ever shared that with you, but I no. have literally seen every single episode. I started watching it in high school with my mom, <laughs> and and I love it. So welcome, Catherine. Um, so I I connected with Catherine probably a few months back um, on Instagram, and I immediately connected to your story, and I love your balanced approach to food and mindset and I started following your blog and I just knew that I had to have you come on the podcast so I am so excited to have you on thank you so much this is such an honor and yes I completely connected with your story as well and I think I have you beat on Grey's Anatomy 
Um, we are on round two. Oh my gosh. Uh, so we have watched every single episode twice, except for the new ones. So. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> so any Grey's Anatomy fans, you're going to have to shout us out um, uh, oh, over please. on Instagram when, uh, when this podcast launches. <laughs> So I already shared your bio, of course, but I would love if you could just share your story with my listeners and how you got to where you are today with helping women reconnect with their intuition in their food and their life. Oh my, it's been quite a journey. Um, It's been years um, in the making. Um, So my story goes back to right before middle school. Um, So I grew up actually overseas. Not that it has anything much to relate with that, but I grew up overseas. My parents were Americans who worked there. Um, and I'm the youngest of four and had a great childhood. Um, everything was great, but I was a really sensitive child, very insecure. And I remember becoming aware of my body at a pretty young age. I don't know when most girls do, but definitely around fourth grade, And then fifth grade, puberty hit, um, and life was just insane. And I remember just feeling so out of control of my emotions, very, very insecure about my body, and just not sure how to handle everything that was going on. And I always felt less than other girls. Like, I wasn't the popular one. I was always really quiet. I felt bigger than most girls. And I remember... It was summer between fifth and sixth grade. I was, I finally said, okay, I am, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to be healthier. Very innocent um, in my mind, but I started counting calories and just like little things of just becoming more aware of what I was eating. And it quickly spiraled into a full-fledged eating disorder and it's, I don't even remember much of the first three months. Um, I think it was just a quick spiral. And my parents intervened um, because we lived overseas. There wasn't really any options for treatment or therapy for expatriates. And even in Russia, that's where I grew up. Yeah. Um, eating disorders, I don't, there, I don't even think there's a word for them even though it's very rampant. So it was just not Mm. a very recognized thing. So my parents intervened and were like, okay, Catherine, like we're going to watch out for you. So what happened then and what the next, what is that? Six, seven, what is that? Seven years, um, eight years, whatever, middle school and high school. I lived in what I thought was like pseudo recovery was not though. It was an extreme fear of gaining weight, um, preoccupation, obsession with my body, um, obsession with food, a life ruled by rules around what I could eat, when I could eat it, when I had to exercise, what exercise I had to do. um, And that filled my brain. And then with that was extreme insecurity. Um, I say I don't really feel like I had a normal middle school and high school experience because I didn't spend time with friends because it involved food and involved, oh, maybe I'd have to miss out on my workout. Or I was so worried about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or what people thought of me. And so I lived this way for years and years. And finally, it was my senior year of high school. And as I was preparing to move back to the US and go to college, and there was just a lot of changes coming up, I felt the need to latch on to more control. And what did I do? I like latched more on to controlling my food, my body, um, my grades, just everything had to be perfect. And I It was around graduation um, and my oldest sister was visiting and she was like, Catherine, you need help. And I had gotten to a point where I was, I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't live this way anymore. And I was at a point where I was like, yes, if, if I'm going to get help, like I'm in this, but it's so interesting thinking back because even at that time I had this fear of like, I am not sick enough. Like, what if 
like a treatment place doesn't accept me. And it's just crazy to think about now because I was just so taken over by my eating disorder. Um, so I actually moved back to the U.S. and I did treatment um, and took a year off lived with my parents and from college and just got my feet on the ground. So that was the beginning of my journey. And that was 10 years ago. Crazy. And ever since then, it's just been a forward trajectory of kind of finding freedom with food, um, being okay with my body and accepting my body. And that has changed a lot, my Mm -hmm. body and, and what it used to be. And so it's been, it hasn't been these, like, I did this and then this, it's just been like a gradual process, but a continual moving forward and a desire for life beyond rules around food and my body and just obsessing about weight. And it was a couple years ago, I discovered intuitive eating, I think through some podcasts and some blogs that I've followed and it really clicked with me. And ever since then, I've just kind of been soaking up everything I can about intuitive eating and implementing it into my own life. And all of that has led into what I do right now, um, which is coaching women, helping them implement intuitive eating. But even more than that, a huge part of my story has been letting go of rules even outside of food. Um, a couple years ago, so I, I went to college, I got my degree in social work and thinking I wanted to help women similar as me who had gone through similar things and become a therapist. But it was interesting. I graduated and I was like, I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to be a social worker. And so I just was like, I'm just going to get a job. I'll just work and I can do what I'm passionate about on the side. But I didn't like my jobs. I felt miserable and I just didn't have the energy to do what I really wanted to do. And the idea of entrepreneurship never came to me. It's just not what people talk about. Everyone was going back to school, pursuing their careers. I was like, I just don't have a career in mind. And I struggled with that. And I struggled with, I should do this, but I don't want to. And so finally, um, this is where the safer beauty advocate comes into play. I, I found a company called beauty counter and I was like, Oh my goodness, this is what I want to do. It allows me to work with women, work from home, have flexibility. And so that was the start of my entrepreneurial journey. And that was over two years ago. And that was such a pivotal point in my life because it was the first time that I was like, okay, this is what I feel like I should be doing, but I don't want to. My heart is telling me to do this, you know, do this beauty counter business, which is not what people normally do. Not a lot of people are going to understand it's risky, but that's where my heart is calling me. And so that was really pivotal because I decided, all right, enough with the shoulds and I'm going to do what my heart is calling me to do. And like all of these, it's not this like linear story. It's like all of these are playing into what I do right now. And these last couple years of really implementing intuitive eating, which is translated into intuitive living not just about the food, it's everything in life and tuning into my heart and tuning into myself and letting myself lead after so many years of letting my mind dictate what I should be doing. Um, and so that's why my coaching also is about just helping women tune back into their intuition because women, there's so many messages out like in our world that tell us what we should be doing, what we should look like, what success looks like. This is what you need to do if you're feeling this way. This is how you need to look. And all of that takes us away from tuning into the wisdom that we have inside of us. And we, our bodies, our hearts are so, so smart. And I truly believe that when we take the time to tune in, we are going to find peace. We're going to find just balance in life and joy and our life is just going to be so much more full. And so it's really going against what's normal <laughs> in our society. But that's so powerful. And so that's what I really want to help women do. So that's 
that's my story. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's such a beautiful story. It was so hard for me to just like nod along because we have a lot of parallels to our story mm-hmm. in just, you know, this early years of in middle school and high school and that obsession with food in your body. But I think it's it's so beautiful, this path that you've been on. And even though, you know, it's never linear, right? It's, it's oh. a, always a winding road. But when you get to that point of realizing that it's not about the food and you know that's part of it that's a huge part of it is that intuitive eating and and tuning into your body in terms of food but I love that you've also taken that and gone from you know that place of feeling like you should do this thing or Mm -hmm. that place of control to that place of leaning into your intuition and I am so with you that I think our our bodies and our hearts can tell us so much more and it's it's all about trust right and so many of us are so afraid to trust ourselves I think um and I I love what you do and and the message you have for women in that so yeah such an incredible story Trust is definitely, you know, if I ever got a tattoo, which I never thought I would, but (laughs) if I would, it would be trust would be the word trust because Mm. for so many years, I was so afraid of trusting myself because I felt like my body and myself had failed me. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, I, you know, when I was younger and even if I went back and, and had a conversation with the little me you know, I would just say like, this is what happens. Like girls just kind of go through these awkward phases and our bodies just kind of find their balance when we really like take care of ourselves and Mm -hmm. and just like learn just to embrace who we are. And, but I, I felt like I had failed myself because I was uncomfortable with my body or I didn't feel like people, I was popular or anything like that. And so I just had, I felt like I had failed and I couldn't trust myself. And so when I started going into recovery, that was the big thing. I was like, I just can't trust myself. Like, what if I start eating what I want and I can't stop? Or I start gaining weight and that means I'm just going to keep gaining weight the rest of my life. And so this is where a lot of anxiety comes in. And so I think intuitive eating and the fact that it is Mm evidence-based and there's science behind it, like, what more evidence do we need? Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, really learning to trust and not even just about body, but trust like, okay, heart, like you're, you're nudging me and I'm, I'm going to tune in. Mm -hmm. And that means being willing to make mistakes, which I never wanted to make mistakes because I had to be perfect. Being willing to fail. Of course, didn't want to do that. Maybe being willing to have people like look down on you or disagree with you, which I hated as well. But that's all part of the process and mm-hmm. finding like who we really are and learning to kind of find our space in the world. Like you have to, you have to try things out. You have to dip your toes and sometimes you're going to fall in and sometimes <laughs> yeah. you're going to find your footing. Yes. I think you need to be willing to be uncomfortable and to, to be uncomfortable in order to, to be comfortable, if that makes sense. And, and really, truly, really find that trust. Oh, I love that. So something I really wanted to talk to you about, and you've mentioned a few times, um, is more specifically about ditching the rules. And this is something that you've already talked about and you've talked about a lot. And I think that this is something that women struggle with often is getting into this mindset of rule-based thinking, or like you said, like should-based thinking, um, whether or not they've gone through an eating disorder or disordered eating. So I'm wondering um, if you can just share some tools that you've um, that you've learned over the years or that you use with clients to ditch the ideas of the idea of rules when it comes to eating and, and even living. Yeah, great question. So again, this has been a journey for me, but really starting, we have to start and identify what the rules are and really just writing them out. And it's crazy to think about the rules that I had. I mean, just some of the rules were ridiculous, but, um, even if you don't have ridiculous rules, but subconscious things, but becoming aware of how we think and what's automatic to us and just kind of declaring it. So first of all, just identifying those rules. And the next thing is you have to challenge those rules. And that's been my journey these last 10 years is challenging the shoulds, challenging the beliefs 
that I had around food, around myself and doing the scary thing and challenging it. And this is, this is really where I step in with my clients because, okay, you can identify them. Great. Let's say you have like fear foods, like foods you're just afraid of because if you eat them, that means you're going to gain weight immediately, or you're going to be a bad person, or you're going to be unhealthy. I had so many food rules and, and fear foods. And you can identify those, but then you have to take action to prove that what you think about that is wrong Mm -hmm. and start building up proof that you can trust your body. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I step in. So we look at those rules and we start addressing them saying, okay, like this food, or maybe it's around exercise. Like, like, you know, for me, I had to exercise this many times a week for this amount of time and it had to be this. And so saying, okay, I'm going to do something different than what that rule says. So we identify what they're going to do and then when they're going to do it. And, you know, so just like, and kind of strategizing like, okay, it's going to be really uncomfortable. And that's where the change really starts to happen is when you do something different and then you have to stick with the uncomfortable and not go back to your old coping mechanisms like overexercising or restricting food or binging or whatever that might be for you. You have to sit with that uncomfortable. And over time, the more that you address that rule or that fear, the less power it has over you. And you start seeing, oh, I ate this today, yesterday, and you know, tomorrow. I'm okay. I remember when my dietitian um, in college, I had a phenomenal dietitian in college, absolutely loved her. And she, she told me, she was like, you're going to eat dessert every single day. And I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I did. And now I love dessert every single day. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's so great. And it's just, I mean, I don't have it every day. Some days I'm like, no, I'm not interested. Most days I do though. And I absolutely love it. And what I found is I had it every day and I turned out okay. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I love that. That's one of the things that I, I talk with my clients a lot about and have them explore is the what if. So like, yeah. what would happen if you just did this thing? And a lot of times they're like, like they can't even fathom what would happen if they ate dessert every day. And so that's mm-hmm. when we're like, all right, well then let's try it. And there's always that resistance, right? But just like you said, mm-hmm. when they get uncomfortable, then they can build up that trust when they realize that nothing happens when they eat dessert mm-hmm. every day. What happens, what often happens is just like you said too, that sometimes you don't want dessert and sometimes mm-hmm. you do and you really enjoy it. And it doesn't change mm-hmm. anything about our health to have a little bit of dessert because you're eating with mindfulness and you're eating out of joy and you're not eating out of shoulds or shouldn'ts or guilt. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's so important. So for those of my listeners who might be in the thick of things right now, if they are struggling with disordered eating um, or letting go of rules or restrictions or trying to break free from this idea of dieting, what was the hardest part of recovery for you? And how can you encourage that woman? I'm a couple things. One is going back to the rules conversation sitting with the uncomfortable, um, whether that's the uncomfortable feelings and fears and thoughts of, I just allowed myself to eat something, um, that I don't normally let myself eat. And I can't, I can't use an unhealthy coping mechanism. I have to sit with this feeling. That's really, really hard. Um, the other, and going with this is, For me, I was at a point where I had to restore weight and uh, gain weight to get to a healthy, healthy place in my body. That was very, very hard for me as well. Mm -hmm. And that's again, sitting with the uncomfortable sitting. I was so, I felt safe in, if I was just a little underweight, if -hmm. I was just kind of on the extreme, I was very, very black and white. And I still am a little bit black and white. I struggle with that, but I'm, I'm aware of it. And it was like, either I'm underweight or I'm overweight. There's no in between. Mm -hmm. 
and I, I can't be comfortable in the gray. And so sitting with that and not trying to compensate and it, I would say body image has been the, the, they say it's like the last thing to go. Mm. And I would 100% say yes. Also because our bodies are changed, our bodies change. They're not stagnant as you, you know, I was in my early late teens, early twenties when this start, you know, when I started recovery and now I'm late twenties and my body has changed a lot since then. And that's just part of it. So you have to learn to cope and just be okay with body changes. Um, there was one more and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so uh, what was the other one? I can't think of it right now. No, I think oh, that's I, huge I remember. though. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the other one. Also is discovering who the real me was mm. because for almost a decade I was Catherine the the healthy um super disciplined perfect I remember people called me an angel in high school because I was just perfect and I was quiet and I didn't do anything wrong and I was disciplined and people admired me for that and that's one reason I liked my eating disorder because it made me stand out so then, as I'm, you know, pursuing recovery, I can't hold on to those things anymore. But then who am I? So really having to figure out my identity and discover what do I like? Mm-hmm. What do I enjoy doing? What do I like eating? Um, what kind of a personality do I have? So that was hard as well. It's one of the most beautiful parts of, I think, this whole process of intuitive eating and living, I think, is really discovering who you really are. And it's, it's, been, it's been really huge in my journey, too. And I'm so glad you shared that because I think it gives women permission to recognize that they might have been finding their identity in their disordered eating or the diet they've been on or maybe they put a label on themselves like you know I'm vegan or I'm paleo or and you know there's nothing inherently wrong with those things if if it's serving your body but if it's become your identity and it's become an obsession um finding your identity outside of food and outside of rules I think is so huge. So I love that. And the body image thing, I'm 100% with you on that. It's totally, it's totally the last, the last thing to go for a lot of the women that I work with and, and for me, for sure. And I think something that's, that's helped me and been encouraging to me is just focusing on my here and now body mm-hmm. rather than, and learning to accept my here and now body and that it doesn't mean that I need to 100% love my body every single day, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. still accepting the here and now and not thinking about, okay, I used to look like this, so that's the way I should look, Um, but really just embracing the here and now. And I think that can be such a powerful part of, of our journey to recovery from whatever it is that, you know, we're, we're obsessing over, whether it be food Mm -hmm. or fitness. Um, so I love that. Oh, it's so good. I would, I would say, yeah, definitely focusing on the here and now. Mm -hmm. And as I look back at my journey, a couple things stand out to me as far as what helped me in recovery. One, the biggest one is having a, like a strong enough desire. And what I like to say, my why, my Mm -hmm. why for recovery and really anything you want in life that might be challenging has to be really strong. Because I remember in recovery seeing women who, you know, they they kept coming back and they've been struggling for a long time. They kept relapsing and that happens. And I think my strong enough drive and my strong enough, like, I don't want to live this way anymore. A big thing for me is I wanted to be able to have children one day. Mm-hmm. And I knew in the body that I had right now that wasn't possible. And I was afraid that maybe, you know, maybe I'd never be able to because of what I'd done to my body. So I had a really strong why and just a commitment to doing that. And, um, also, identifying my values. This is something more later on in my recovery, but identifying my values and kind of weighing my thoughts, beliefs, and potential behaviors against those values. And it's like, okay, maybe I feel uncomfortable in my body. 
which I still have days like that. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, I could just, I could just do this cleanse or I could just do this, you know, challenge or whatever. And I'd be okay in my body. But then I think back, no, like, what do I value? I value freedom with food. I value mm. not obsessing about food or thinking about it or having to plan it. I value so much more than having XYZ body. And I also value taking care of my body and nourishing my body. Mm-hmm. And so that, that kind of helps get me back in check and get me back on the right road. I love that. I think it is it is so important. And I think sometimes we we don't even check in with what we really truly value mm-hmm. and we don't ask ourselves what we value. But once we do, once we get down to it and we realize obsessing over my food, isn't one of my values. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's living a full life. And if obsessing over your food or, um, mm-hmm. or anything in your life is taking away from living a full life, then I think that's, oh, that's so important to, to have people really tune into. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you can remember a moment or a time where you realized that you were finally free with food, with obsession over your body, maybe obsession over rules? Oh boy. That one, that one's a little hard for me again, because like I said, it hasn't been this like smooth trajectory or this like aha moment. Um, but I would say I've had time to think about this and I, (laughs) I can't even really think of a specific time, but I think even getting to the point of where I want to help women and because I remember early on in my recovery and even a couple years in, I, I was like, I wanted to share what I was going through, but I just didn't feel like I had overcome certain points. I didn't feel strong enough. I still felt very vulnerable to the triggers that I had. And now, you know, in these last three, four years, really being able to share my story and be able to share that there is hope. And these are the tools that I have used for me that, that has been a sign of recovery for me. And I think also I, when I was in treatment, I remember people saying like, Oh, you'll never fully be recovered, which is kind of discouraging to be honest. And I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it because I think you can be fully recovered. I would say I'm fully recovered, but I think where that comes from is that we're always I think all of us, we're going to be vulnerable to certain things. And I, right now, I know my vulnerabilities. I know my triggers. And the difference is, instead of giving into those triggers, I'm able to cope with them better and say, you know what? Like, I'm having a hard body image day, but I know that doing this XYZ thing isn't going to solve it. Yeah. And so I, for me, that's another way that I know that I have recovered or kind of reached that point. Yeah, totally. There's, I think there's such a big difference between what we think recovered means or what we think freedom means. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times women will think that they will never have these thoughts about mm-hmm. food or about their body ever again. And that's what recovery means or, or that's mm-hmm. what, you know, ditching diets completely means, but that's not necessarily true because I, I still have been shared openly that I still have bad body image yeah. days too. And I still have times where I'm like, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't eat that. But the difference is, is having those, it's coming back to what you value and having those coping mechanisms for Mm -hmm. when you do have those feelings, because they're going to pop up and that doesn't mean you're not recovered. It doesn't mean you're Mm -hmm. still in that diet mindset. It means that now you know really Mm -hmm. how to, how to tackle it and how to cope. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's such a beautiful place to be. Mm -hmm. 
So I wanted to switch gears a little bit um, because you talk very openly about your struggles with anxiety. And I appreciate this so much because, and we talk about it a lot here on the podcast. I've actually had um, two guests that are that are both coming on very soon. Um, actually, one that just came on and one that's coming on soon. And we've talked a lot about anxiety and stress because I think it it goes hand in hand with food struggles um, and with that rule-based living. And so I was wondering if you can share a little bit how anxiety has played into your struggles with food and body image and how it looks different now. Yeah. So anxiety, now looking back, I see how much of a role it played in my life. Before my eating disorder started, I remember with my struggles with accepting my body, I remember having this, this deep set fear and this, I guess, anxiety that, oh my goodness, because of the way, the way my body is, like, I'm never going to be successful. I'm no one's ever going to marry me. So just this, these like worrying thoughts and these, my mind was just racing and running. And even in my eating disorder too, just the, the ruminating thoughts that would just go over and over thinking about what am I going to eat tomorrow? How is this going to fit in? Oh, I made it, you know, just thoughts and thoughts and thoughts running through my head and the fear, the, the what ifs. And to me, that's a lot of anxiety. The what if, mm-hmm. what if I do this, what's going to happen? What if I make a mistake, this is going to happen and then running with it. And I, it wasn't until I was into my recovery that I really started addressing the anxiety specifically. I remember having a lot of issues sleeping because of the ruminating thoughts and I don't remember really what triggered it, but it was... I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression, actually. And for me, it's something that I still struggle with, Um, struggle a lot with anxiety. And especially as a business owner, that's been a huge struggle for me. Again, it's ruminating thoughts. It's just kind of being hijacked by your thoughts and the what ifs. Um, So I have, I personally, I've been on medication for several years for anxiety which has helped a lot just to get to a point where I can identify, Oh, like I am, I'm running with that thought or I'm, I'm thinking way too much in the future or I'm thinking way too much about the what ifs and I can try to harness those in and and cope with them better. Um, but I think it really all, all the anxiety, it's kind of like what came first, the anxiety or the eating disorder, Mm -hmm. I think they just went hand in hand and they fed on each other. It's like my eating disorder fed into the ruminating thoughts and the obsessions and the fears and the what ifs. And then the anxiety kind of fed on like my eating disorder, which is very much, you're just so stuck in your head and in the fears. And so I think definitely addressing the eating disorder and my disordered view of my body, food, exercise, life, my personality, who I was as a person, addressing that helped with the anxiety. And then also addressing the anxiety for me with medication and then also therapy as well has helped me reach a point where I am, you know, I am in a healthy spot with my body and food and, and who I am. It's so powerful to hear too, because I think just like with what we were talking about with recovery, we have this idea in our head of that. It's that kind of that black and white, right? Where either like you have no anxiety or you have all of the anxiety, but there mm-hmm. is often in times that middle ground where sometimes it's a little bit, you know, more present and sometimes it's a little less present. But I think finding those, again, those those coping mechanisms and being okay with going, yeah, I do need some medication for this and that there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that or that, yeah, I need a little bit of ther- therapy to help me through this because most of the time we're not the experts and we can always use help with that, right? We can always mm-hmm. use, use help um, in in, I guess, helping ourselves, right? And having those Mm -hmm. positive coping mechanisms 
And I think that they, they do go so hand in hand. So I think that was, that was really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something that you speak so beautifully about um, a lot on, on Instagram is the concept of enoughness. And this ties into anxiety a lot too, I believe. Um, and just giving ourselves grace in our journey to healing from struggles with food. Um, and I guess that perfectionism mindset, just any struggles we're having really. So what to you um, does it mean to accept that we're enough and give ourselves grace to to continue on and to come out the other side? Mm-hmm. So something that I in all of my journey that I struggled with was feeling like I was enough, that I did enough, that I was good enough, pretty enough, um, even sick enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was all about feeling enough. And um, I think one thing that helped me was first of all, just again, going against the rules and challenging the way I was thinking for so many years and really challenging those limiting beliefs that I had about myself. And a lot of that work was in therapy and then also taking action against like, I don't feel like I am enough, but I'm going to go ahead and do this. (laughs) Mm. Um, and so I think enoughness really is, you know, we look all around us and we see, you know, we we compare ourselves to people. We see people we admire. We think, oh, they have it all. They have it together. They're so popular. And, and I think for women, we're just so, we're so vulnerable to just looking down on ourselves and not feeling, not feeling worthy. And, you know, that goes back to my own journey of, I was like, I am this weight and I don't feel worthy enough. But so what's so interesting, even at my lowest weight, when I had all the discipline, everything, I was doing everything right, I still did not feel enough. It was just not good enough. And I think that's part of the eating disorder. That's part of the, just our culture. Like there's, there's always going to be someone who's better at you than something and you can't be at all. And I think it was really when, you know, it started in treatment, kind of challenging that, those beliefs that I had that I wasn't good enough. And then really, I think a lot of the work has happened in the last couple of years, especially as I've started it incorporating intuitive eating into my life um, and starting a business. Honestly, that has grown me more than anything. I think You have because, to be bold to when you're in business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and really like when I started my business, the beauty counter, there was, I would say my first year was a lot of soul work, a lot of trusting myself and challenging beliefs and putting myself out there Um, and it was so much more than, it's so much more than food, this like idea of enoughness and also finding that what I'm doing is enough, like not leaning on external factors to determine if I'm enough, like, you know, my income or the numbers that I have as far as my business, um, or the level that I'm at or how much time I spend working or whether I'm hustling or having a more balanced approach to my business and life and really looking internal and starting from the belief that as I am, I am enough and I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to present anything. I am enough just as I am. And I think I've come to realize like that's a, that's 
where we have to start. All of us, we have to start there that as we are, we are enough, however that looks for you. But to me, it's very holistic. I am enough as a wife. I'm enough as a business owner. I'm enough as a woman. I am enough with my Instagram following. Like, you know, I'm enough with what I do for exercise, how I spend my time. And then from there, we can start honoring ourselves in, in as far as nutrition, as far as how we move our body, how we spend our time. Um, but you have to believe that you you are worthy, just as you are. Totally. Oh, I love that you you pointed out that that's where you need to start. It's not where you get to. It's that you have to start by believing that you are worthy enough for change in whatever area mm-hmm. it is that you are. You are worthy enough to be the woman that you want to be, whether that is freedom with food or your body or getting rid of the rules in your life. You have to mm-hmm. start there. Yeah. And it, you know, and like you said, how do you, how do we give ourselves grace? It's, I feel like that's such, that's a daily thing mm-hmm. of, you know, it was a hard day, you know, especially if it's with anxiety and depression, it was a hard day or maybe it's, as you're, um, this is something I've been thinking about a lot as you're starting off with intuitive eating, you need a lot of grace for that. Mm-hmm. A lot of grace because it's not a perfect thing. It's not about perfection. And every day is so different. And especially at the beginning, you're going to say, Oh, I just, I didn't get my hunger and fullness right today. Or I over, you know, I, I feel overly full or I didn't eat exactly what I wanted. I got it all wrong. It's, you have to give yourself the grace, like, okay, like that was today. I learned something and I'm moving on. Mm-hmm. It's all a journey. It's funny that you, you say that, uh, you said that, you know, we have to give ourselves grace in, in the early parts of the intuitive eating process. But I think even in the later parts of the intuitive eating process too, and because it is a journey, right? It never ends. It's, it's about, you know, learning more about ourselves and our bodies each and every day for the rest of our lives. And that isn't to say you can't really solidly learn the principles, but it, it okay. is a journey of getting to know ourselves for forever. Um, and it's funny mm-hmm. because just yesterday I realized that I was like, I was just not doing a good job of satisfying my hunger throughout the day. And the difference is that I, I just notice it now. And I go, mm-hmm. I was just consistently like not eating enough to fully satisfy my hunger. So I was a little bit hungry all day. And it wasn't a big deal because I can just learn from that and move on. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a big part of learning to give ourselves grace is just learning and taking things as learning opportunities and, and just moving on. Just like you said, mm-hmm. it's just today. And then tomorrow's a new day, right? Or even next meal is a new meal. If, you know, that meal, it didn't seem like it worked out so well, we can, we can move on. And, and like you said, with your journey, it's, it's never linear. It's never a linear process, mm-hmm. but it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. it makes it so beautiful because who wants to hike up a straight path? That's not fun. We want the ones with the, the, the curves and the, um, the, you know, little, now I'm, I'm trying to use a hiking analogy that I hadn't thought about. <laughs> you know, the little boulders to climb up and, you know, the yeah. kind of paths that go off to the side. I love to hike. So those are way more fun than just walking on a straight path, right? Yeah. Even if it doesn't feel fun at the time, I think when we look back, we learn a lot from, you know, the 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 different parts of, of our journey. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, we keep saying, like, it's not a linear thing or it's a constant journey. And, and I don't want anyone to feel discouraged by that. Yeah. Um. I want, like, that is a reality. Mm-hmm. Like, the quick fixes that we see so much in diet culture or wellness culture, that just doesn't exist because we are not linear beings. Mm-hmm. You know, life, you know, as women, some of us decide to be moms. And I mean, you're a mom. I'm not mm-hmm. yet. Someday mm-hmm. I will, hopefully. And, like, our lives are going to change. Our body is going to change. And mm-hmm. that's part of the journey and so we can't expect one that our body is going to stay the same that we're going to eat the same thing every single day for the rest of our lives and we can control that and Mm -hmm. so like you said it's it's exciting 
it's interesting. And once you learn to tune into your body, give yourself grace. And you, as you're learning that, because it's, it's a muscle that you train and mm-hmm. you learn that you're not always going to get perfect. And that's where the grace comes in. You're going to be able to ebb and flow with life and that beautiful journey that life is. I think there's so much freedom in that, in, mm-hmm. in knowing and trusting that it's, it's not going to be linear, but that we can enjoy the journey and be okay with it not being the same every day with our bodies feeling different every day with our minds feeling different every day and just being totally fully okay with that. And that's a journey in and of itself, but Mm -hmm. it's certainly a beautiful one, like you said. So there is one more concept that you mentioned before and you talk about a lot. And I think it's really important when it comes to our journey in into intuitive eating um, and into breaking free from rules and perfection. And that's the idea of limiting beliefs and things that, you know, and I want you to explain a little bit more about this um, because I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I'm curious to hear yours. So how does having these limiting beliefs versus freedom keep us stuck in our patterns? Oh boy, this is, again, I'm going to keep repeating it, such a journey. And it applies to everyone, not just people with who are finding intuitive eating or who have had disordered eating in the past. It's something that I, to be honest, I struggle with as a business owner too. Mm-hmm. The limiting beliefs, um, what they do what they do to keep us stuck in our patterns, you know, is a lot of times our limiting beliefs are so subconscious Mm -hmm. and they're those things that I think, especially if you struggle with anxiety, those things that keep popping up in our head and we just don't even know that they're there. Mm -hmm. And they also, I think they're a lot influenced by what we take in Um, as far as media, social media, I guess media and social media are the big ones nowadays, Mm -hmm. but even what other people are saying, our friends, which is one reason I'm a huge proponent of being really careful about what you're intaking, especially as far as like diet culture. Yeah, totally. Yes. Which is a whole nother thing. And, but what they do is because they're so subconscious it's not even really a decision. So like a limiting belief that I struggled with for so long is that I am not enough. I am not enough as I am. And that is, it's like, I don't think if you asked me eight, nine years ago that I could have said that it wasn't like I had this thought of, I am not enough. Therefore I am going to do X, Y, Z to make myself enough. It was this inborn belief that I have had of myself that that um, impacted my actions. And so therefore it was like, I'm going to change my body size. I am going to do things perfectly. I'm going to be a perfect student and I'm going to eat perfectly. And so therefore I will be enough. And those, the limiting beliefs, the other key thing about them. So one, they're subconscious and two, they dictate so much of our behaviors without us even really knowing it. And then three, they're not based in truth. Mm. And so similar to challenging those rules or how do we identify or work on breaking up those rules is first you have to even realize that that's, that's a story. That's a belief that you have about yourself. That's keeping you from being the person you want to be. And that's rooted in our values. That's kind of what we discover as we think about, well, what do I value in life? Mm -hmm. I value family. But if I am believing in myself that I'm not enough as I am, no one's going to accept me. If I say something that, you know, people are going to think I'm weird or I have to control everything in my food and my weight. So I have to always be thinking about this. I'm not present with family. I'm not being my true self with my family. I'm not blessing other people. So that's how, really how it gets us stuck. But you have to identify it first and then look for the evidence of that. 
Like, what evidence is there for and against? Mm-hmm. And so if it's saying, like, I am not enough, what evidence do I have against that? Again, yeah, I had, I have a family who loves me. I, this is, you know, this is how far I've come. This is what I've been able to do. This is what people say about me. And then what do I have, a, what do I have for that belief? And what a lot of times what I found in myself is, it wasn't anything outside of me that said that. It was what I said about myself mm-hmm. and how I interpreted things. And so the next step is then rewriting that story, rewriting that belief and making that a part of your mindset. And, and so for me, that's like constantly thinking I am enough. One of my favorite kind of mantras, and I try to say it every day is I am enough. I do enough. I have enough. I love that. That's so beautiful. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And you know, I think, I think a lot of it also plays into, um, when you're thinking about the, the concept of, of I'm not enough or having those limiting beliefs about ourselves is just taking a step back and really, like you were saying, like, take a look around and what is the evidence that I have around me? What can I be grateful for that I do have in my life? And maybe these things are holding me back, but look at all these things that I have. I have this family. If you're a mama, I have these kids. If you, I can hear my cat meowing in the background. That's why I took my headphones off for a second there because I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I have this really cool, gigantic family. 15 pound black cat and sometimes he's loud but he's great and I'm grateful for him even though sometimes I have hard body days I'm grateful for the body that I have and what it does for me and this and how it provides for me so I can live the life that I want to live and I I think like you said rewriting our stories and changing our perspective can be so so powerful I love Mm -hmm. I love your views on that Mm -hmm. So because I am a foodie at heart and I want to share food in a way that is joyful, I have three final questions for you. They're just a little fun. First one is what is your favorite thing to cook? In general, I could go on about this (laughs) because I love to cook. I do love to cook. It's one of my creative outlets. First of all, I love anything breakfast. Mm -hmm. So I could eat breakfast day, night, any time of day. That's the only thing I could eat the rest of my life because there's so much you can do. Breakfast, sweet, savory, so great. It's why I wake up in the morning. Bag and coffee. <laughs> and uh, so my favorite thing to cook recently, I have been into fermentation. Mm. I kind of identified this year. I was like, what are some of my hobbies? One of them was fermentation. So I started making sourdough bread. I don't make it all the time. Um, life has been kind of crazy and it kind of have to time things really well, but I really enjoy making good bread. Um, growing up overseas, I was blessed to have cheap, phenomenal European bread all the time. (laughs) And I've definitely been spoiled. So I really like sourdough bread. And then I've also really been into making sauerkraut. Mm, Um, We did that earlier this year. (laughs) Yeah. I love sauerkraut super easy to make. Yeah, it's so, so easy to make. cheaper yeah. than buying real sauerkraut, fermented sauerkraut. Um, and I want to kind of explore making some other fermented foods as mm. well. Have you done yogurt? Are you a yogurt fan? You know, my mom makes yogurt, or yeah. she did, and I love yogurt, mm-hmm. which is so funny. Like, my husband is pretty much eats anything except yogurt. He hates really? yogurt. <laughs> but so I love, love good whole milk, plain yogurt. Yeah. And I, I just, it's one of those things where I can get really good yogurt or decent yogurt. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to spend the time doing it. So I have not done that one yet. And I don't know if I ever will. It's so funny. Yeah. Well, I, I also love yogurt and I'm kind of in that camp right now, but I used to make homemade yogurt for a long time when we lived in Toronto and I used to make it in my slow cooker, but my tastes for yogurt have changed over the years. Like I hadn't yet discovered like Greek yogurt and skier Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but 
now I kind of prefer those types of yogurts and I have my mm-hmm. brands that I really love and I've gone back and forth between whether I should try to make it again or not. But yeah. I come to the same thing where I'm like, but I already love my yogurt. Why would I mess with that? <laughs> but and sourdough has been on my list. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that has no. been on my list to make. Oh my gosh, I have a starter like kit in my closet yeah. right now, but I haven't oh, you started need, it. <laughs> you just need to do it. You just need yeah. to do it. And yeah, it's it's definitely fun and it's really good. And (laughs) it's, I wouldn't say it's cheap because you do go through a lot of flour Mm -hmm. and you want to use good flour. Yeah. But, um, it's fun. I've also made like sourdough bagels. That's so much fun. Yeah. So maybe I'll experiment this summer or this fall, maybe the summer might be weird with the heat over here, but we'll see. It definitely changes. Yeah. Oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. It's fun though that you can experiment like different seasons and and Mm -hmm. kind of figure out how it works in different seasons it's it's really funny because I I have a culinary degree but I am so not a baker but bread Mm. is something my husband's the baker he does the baking in our house he makes fabulous chocolate chip cookies but like baking is something that because there's I don't know because there's some flexibility to it I guess to bread baking versus like I'm not very good at sticking to measurements or <laughs> I really embrace the concept of no rules anywhere anymore. <laughs> so whenever I, I like, I have very few baked goods on my blog because I am not very yeah. good with measuring things out, but uh, bread sounds, sounds really fun and creative. So I love that's one of, that that's one of your passions. Yeah. I think you've kind of inspired me now. <laughs> I think with baking during, like during my eating disorder, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I would bake like the healthified versions, which mm-hmm. were not good at all. <laughs> no. And so now it's kind of like, this is part of the freedom that I'm experiencing is mm-hmm. I'm going to make, I'm going to make real brownies mm-hmm. with butter, sugar. I'm going to make real cake and really enjoy it. And mm-hmm. it's so fun. So yeah. fun to make the real thing. <laughs> And when you have a really, really good brownie or a really, really good piece of cake, I think you have less desire to, especially when you're in this this point of, of yeah. freedom around food, you have less desire to eat the whole tray because you're not satisfied by it. You're like, oh. that one or two or whatever feels good to you was so good and just enough. I think it's, oh yeah, yeah the real thing is always so much better. <laughs> Whole other topic. But. Yes. <laughs> so that kind of leads into what is your favorite thing to order or have someone cook for you? <sighs> I don't have people cook for me that often. So whenever my husband does cook for me, it's always a wonderful day. <laughs> um, but, oh, this is tough. I have really been in a burger phase Mm. I we are moving soon and we only have a grill for so much longer and it's so hot here in Philly where we are right now we're moving to Minnesota Mm. and I'm just trying to use that grill as much as possible so just a good good grilled burger um with all the fixins is something probably I'd order or have my husband cook for me um the other thing I really love pizza so if we can yeah. order a pizza, that's so great. Those are two of my favorites too. I love yeah. that. <laughs> so we talk a lot, of course, over here on the podcast about finding your beautiful balance, going beyond obsessing over food and finding nourishment and pleasure in food and in life. So what does your beautiful balance mean to you? So it's interesting because my business and my blog is called Choosing Balance. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because since I picked that, I have come to the belief that balance isn't possible necessarily. Mm-hmm. You can't have perfect balance in everything in your life. Mm-hmm. But I still, I still love that word because to me what that means. It doesn't mean that you have everything in its spot and perfectly allocated. To me, balance is a beautiful balance is starting internal and finding what's right for you. And truly what is right for you is going to be very different than what's right for someone else. And that's okay. And being okay with that. It's really like rooting yourself in, I am who I am, 
this is what I need and this is what I choose to do to to meet those needs and kind of stay in that course. So, and, and that, again, you can't define it. It's different for every single person. I love that. One of my, one of my favorite phrases is balance is not static because I think we do. We think of balance as that perfect, even balance, but it is, it's different for everyone and it's constantly changing and absolutely. It's such a wonderful place when we can, we can embrace that. So I love that. So can you find where, or share, can you find, can you share where my listeners can find you? Yes. So where I spend the most of my time is on Instagram um, and sharing my own journey, sharing um, tips and a lot of the things that we talked about right here. I also love sharing food inspiration. Um, so you can find me at Catherine.Herbison and it's Catherine with a K not a C. Um, and then on my website is choosing-balance.com. And your Instagram is amazing. I love all of your posts. I think you put a lot of thought into your posts and they're so beautifully written. So I hope that they will hop over there and hop over to your blog. And if they connect with you as a coach, go and, uh, and check you out over there too. Thank you so much for coming on, Catherine. This was this is a wonderful conversation. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and, and being on and sharing with my listeners. Thank you so much. It's such an honor. Thank you, friends, so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I truly hope it encouraged and inspired you today to live a healthier life without restriction. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you do me a huge favor and give it a star rating and review in iTunes? Every rating, review, and subscribe helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear it. You can find me, Kristen, on Instagram and Facebook at Healthy Mama Chris or on my website, Healthy Mama Chris. As a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are intended for information and inspiration only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. See you in the next episode.